Hello and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 24 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. In July 2010, Danish debutantes Play Dead pissed on Xbox Gamer's sunny summer of arcade parade with a distinctly chilly and crepuscular limbo. Following a period of 360 exclusivity, this mysterious 2D adventure puzzle platformer has since been released on PC, Mac and PS3 to equal amounts of critical praise. So why does such a short and seemingly old-fashioned game deserve to be talked about in hushed tones? Joining me, Leon Cox, on this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And returning editor extraordinaire, Sean O'Brien. Hello. Live from New York. Uh, (laughs) Warning, right at the top, spoilers. played Limbo, nip off and play it you could be back by tea time and uh, and listen to the show and enjoy it all without having it ruined I think I think we'd all agree that some of the impact would be taken away by kind of knowing what goes on in the game I, I don't know because the, the story's no? very ambiguous I guess anyway um, mm. I, I think yeah there would be a level of, you know, of not knowing what's going on and piecing it together yourself but I think it's certainly I know on the second playthrough Having known the story, it was probably uh, just as interesting for me anyway. Uh, well, that's kind of piece of that stuff. I this is a very good place to start. Sorry, Josh, go on. Go. No, I was just going to say, I think it's a similar situation to uh, Journey recently. It's not that there's like a heavy narrative going on in Limbo, but you wouldn't want to tell any- anyone anything that happens during that game because when you played it, it was a surprise. You know, it's not a narrative surprise. It's just an event that occurs that surprised you. So... I think it yeah. is worth going in completely without knowing anything about it. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean because we're going to obviously there are several key scenes uh which which we are going to talk about and the the impact is uh would be lessened just by knowing that they're coming even if you don't know where they're com- when they're coming. But I'm sure uh, you know we get feedback after every podcast people saying oh it's made me want to go and play that now I've mm. not played it before so that's cool too you know you're still you you still won't know exactly when things are coming or whatever so um but yeah that actually made me think how I wanted to start talking about limbo was was the the story because when I uh booted it up again the other day to refamiliarize myself with the game uh I know there was a lot of talk about uh, it was this boy looking for his sister or something like that and I, I booted up the game and I thought how does anyone actually know this because it doesn't the, the game famously has no in-game text whatsoever it has menus and a title screen but it has no in-game text it's, it's nothing to explain what's going on I checked the uh, the marketplace description and it does say 
simply uncertain of his sister's fate, a boy enters limbo. But if you don't, if you didn't read that and you just came to this game, you wouldn't know what you were doing, would you? No, I don't. I don't think you would. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if it, that was necessary at all. Putting that description mm. there. Because I feel it's better if you don't... Like, it, it doesn't need to be her sister. There's nothing about what happens in Limbo that suggests that mm. you're a relation at all. All you need to know, just like Shadow of the Colossus, I mean, you don't know uh, how that woman's related to Wanda in any way. Mm. You don't need to. So that kind of information is kind of unnecessary. All you need to know is, there's a girl, he wants to get to... Well, then again, you don't really know that until, like, Towards the end of the game, game, do you? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly it. You're pretty much... um, So you start off, you... uh, Obviously, uh, I I assume everybody knows that this game is monochrome. It's black, white and grey. It sort of looks like it's been filmed on old film stock and it's running through an old projector with a flickering lamp. Um, And you start off with a boy lying in a forest and I think after you first press start you don't even does he get up on his own or do you have to make him wake up does he just you lie there forever get up yeah that's right say, yeah. yeah so you actually haven't if you just gave this to somebody like I was playing playing through bits of it again for this podcast and I was thinking I'd be really interested in giving this to my girlfriend to play but without telling her anything about it and just see what she makes of it um, because yeah you aren't given any any clues and you pretty much it's although you know this is a very artsy game and whatever it actually requires on the player knowing a lot of conventions just in terms of you need to you know why would you even walk right if you'd never played a video game before yeah it's a 2d side on platformer is that not just a, a natural inter- interaction with um something anyway I mean eventually you are going to press a button on the pad and eventually the boy will wake up and as he, as and when he's standing if you've never had any concept of what a game is you're going to at least tap, tap one of the control sticks and he's going to move left and right and you know mm. you go left I mean there's an, there's an egg if you go directly leg for an, achie- uh, for an achievement <laughs> that was the first thing I did interestingly which you know sort of proves my gaming history because I immediately thought I'm going to go left first because there's clearly something. Well, that's there. fine, but you'll you'll soon come up against a brick wall. Yeah, of course, or, or yeah. Whatever, a dark wall, uh, and then you are going to explore right. I mean, I I think the simplicity of it. I, there's there's a lot of talk throughout this industry for many years about oh the one button control. Now we got to bring simplicity. Like everything we can do is is make it accessible. And I mean, you know, this is about as accessible as as that can be because it's there's one button to jump, one button to manipulate Interact. objects. Interact. Yeah. Um and and you know a a stick to move left and right. I mean, it, it is the kind of um, the one button control. I mean, but it's not dissimilar to many platform games we've had throughout the, the years, which was you know the Mario. You can jump and move left and right. So is there ever a prompt at any stage to press the manipulate button, or no, do you simply no. have to work that out no, for yourself? In fact, yeah. I I know somebody who played the early sections of the game thinking that the only thing they could do was move the left analog stick <laughs> and jump. So there's that early puzzle, you know, where there's yeah. that rope that you can't quite reach and there's the block you need to move to get up. Mm-hmm. I spent ages trying to figure out, how am I meant to get this <laughs> rope? I just told them, you drag the block over that switch. And he was like, oh, well, the game never told me that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty simple, though. It's not, I mean, it's not a complex thing. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I assume that that friend must be um, an idiot. But um... <laughs> no, but we're used to having we're used to having uh, tutorials told to us, even. You know, a game that this is often compared to, and a discussion we'll have later, Braid. Even that, the first level of that has actually has the button, a graphic of the buttons embedded into the landscape. It, this doesn't even have that. So, unless you go into the uh, controls screen, or the, actually, it's interestingly rather than the usual setup of uh, on that you'll find, which is a standard across. Um, Xbox games, which is the uh, controls and settings and controller. This has got how to play, and it's simply got the button layout. And the button layout is uh, is shows you analog stick moves and the B button um, interacts. But do you not? I mean, I, I think one of the highlights of, of Limbo throughout the entirety of the game, the game is how. How it feels like, I mean, I know Journey's just literally come out, so it's probably slightly cliche to, to talk about Journey, but how it is actually just a journey. You, you awake in this forest, um, and you know, you're not bombarded by button controls, you're just awakened. And then you're moving through this world. It, there's like an ebb and flow to the world, and you're. And it's, it doesn't feel like a traditional video game. I think it's one of the, the reasons that so many people have, have become attached to this, because it feels like you wake up and you go on this journey. You're, it's It's not an... Well, you certainly interact with puzzles and stuff, and you die and, and you restart. But it, it doesn't bombard you in the same way as most games do. With oh, you need to press A now, and here are the basics of game design. It's just it's it's a very dark and mysterious place. You will soon work out the controls, and once you're past that, then you know. I think the the shockness the factor of dying is will be the the first thing that kind of catches you off by guard, rather than can I press X to to grab something and can I swing on that rope. It, it's weird that you say that it doesn't feel like a game because in ter- if you just strip away the presentation entirely and just looked at it pu- purely at a mechanical level, it is very just a traditional you know 2D puzzle platformer. Mm-hmm. There's not really that much that's apart from maybe the gravity shifting towards the end, but most of it's kind of like pull this block here, move this here, uh, you know, get the bear trap to remove something from a rope so it doesn't fall the way there's nothing like insane about any of the gameplay all of that unique feel comes from the game's look and the game's sound Mm -hmm. design which I mean is really really impeccable Um, and it's amazing that you can say that a game's presentation is brilliant yet it makes you feel so depressed it's just so um i don't Oppre- it's, it's oppressive it's, as well yeah it's not yeah. really not really depressing it's more it's just doom it yeah, creates a sense yeah. of doom and just fear you know yeah melancholy as well yeah. it, um mm-hmm. you feel lonely isolated there's definitely a sinister edge um, the fact that you can't see anything at the edges of the screen because it's all black, um, the sound certainly adds to that. Um, no, but the funny thing, I listened to, to um, Josh talk about how this actually is quite a basic game when you really you know, strip away the actual um, graphical flair to it. And he, he is completely right. Um, you know, 
Longfriend Ditz um, it was on Twitter today and he sent me a video of what someone did basically with the game if you take away all the graphics it's just like this cutesy adventure and in fact you're the demon and, and kind of and you know to a point yeah I, I, I agree with that yeah it, if you take away the, the arty art I don't want to say arty but you know if you take away the stylized graphics then yes you do have a simple it's game it's pointless reductionism but, though but it is I mean, you can do that reduction. with anything but yeah, yeah the, the, the point is the I think the visual style is there to actually hide all that to actually put you in that place rather than actually concentrate on you know the technical details of what they've actually managed to do, and um, I think there's a lot of distraction that happens. You know, with with character animation and design, and with this, all that is kind of stripped away, and and you focus on just this journey you're having with this this person. Um, and I think it's actually quite a, a, a well, it is. It, it's a masterful stroke, actually. I think more game designers could actually learn a lot more by narrowing down some of their scope rather than ratcheting it up. I think we we had this conversation off. Um air once we were talking mm-hmm. about how um the old saying was that gameplay comes first and everything else is like a distant second but increasingly in this generation i found that that simply isn't true and because if you were to take limbo and say just look at it from a gameplay start, it's a very well executed game but it doesn't do anything new but the presentation and the sound really does amplify the game mm-hmm. and make it like unique and feel really great and you can say that about a lot of um downloadable games i mean we were i think when we were talking about this we were talking about bastion which you could say the exact same thing about it is kind of mechanically simple but that presentation lifts it up to something more special yeah i mean it's a, it's about as useful an argument as saying well you know if if Eraserhead was in colour and didn't have the soundtrack it's got and, you know, you took away all the trappings, it would be a comedy. You know, it's like... It's, <laughs> it, the, the, the whole the whole ethos, the, the art, design, sound ethos is, is what makes the game. And, and as you say, Josh, and this is something we've talked about off-air before, is that increasingly sort of 95% of video games that are released are mechanically sound. You know, they work back in even even the last gen but certainly before that it was not uncommon to come across games which were fundamentally you know unplayable or broken in some way that's that gets less and less because even even these you know very small teams indie games are coming out and they're more playable than than uh professional releases now because it you know, people have learned how to make games mm-hmm. feel good to play so it does increasingly become about their their design you know it's 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 the way you're telling an interactive story in the same way that yeah as i say in a film it will look it will be very different if you have it in sepia to if you have it in technicolor but i mean also going back to the graphical standpoint of this it's it's yes the graphics are simple yet they they do actually pull off tricks which i don't think you could do if it was basically just a you know a colorful sprite on the screen so for instance one of the early devs probably the first death you can have is if you walk down into this pit and the first time you play it this pit looks like a a reed bed you know just a bunch of kind of reeds sticking out of the ground um, because it's you know you've got the monochrome slightly dark and and you're in a forest so you just assume um now you can just jump down into this thing because it's not a particularly deep hole. You do so and you get hit by spikes. Those spikes will kill you and, you know, blood will spurt from your body and you're like, whoa, what what just happened? Because that's a reed bed and you quickly, when you double take and have a look, then you realise it's actually spikes sticking out the ground. But because of the environment you've been and, and the way it's presented to you, you don't 
initially see that uh, and that continues on throughout certainly in the earlier parts of the game such as bear traps bear traps you think are just blades of grass or certainly the first time I did it and I walked straight into yeah. one take the double take on the sex time, sec- second time you go there and you realise no the teeth sticking out the ground there's a lot of cl- because of the yeah the, the, the that's it the the silhouette nature of the graphics um, mm-hmm. they they play with that a lot. There's even sort of things where you think it's a person, but in fact it's a corpse or a puppet or a doll. Um, and there's a bit where you think you're visiting you're you're being visited by the infamous spider again, but in fact it's a mechanical arm. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Which, in my mind, if it's being presented by these, you know, I don't know why, I, I've got this image of Castle Crashes or something in my head, like you know, a cartoony version of this, then all that stuff would be clearly obvious to the player and they would never fall for those tricks. Now, of course, there's a double-edged sword to this, which there's plenty of discussion about those those kind of deaths where they seem to, to the player to be unavoidable. Yeah. Well, this 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 is obviously one of the things that we have to talk about with this game, uh, and that's why this game will never be loved universally because it's such a divisive gameplay choice uh, back in the Amiga days, Core Design before Tomb Raider made a game called Rick Dangerous and and it had a sequel and it was notorious for it getting very very good reviews because it was technically sound, it controlled well, it was cute graphics, all that sort of thing but it was pure trial and error and in the end it got a really bad word of mouth rep because people were like but this is shit it's just you walk through you die and then you remember to when you start the section again you remember not to do that bit and then and that game is this but fortunately it's it's more inventive and crucially of course you don't go back very far at all when you die i i chose to see it as just a puzzle game where you figured it out by dying just trying to piece together exactly what's going to happen if you do certain things based on how the environment chooses to kill you. Yeah, Um, exactly. And because the checkpointing is so frequent, it never got frustrating for me because it was just like, oh, well, I'm just back here. So I know that's going to happen now and I just avoid it and I'm fine. I can't. I can't lie, I can't say it never got frustrating for me. There were definitely puzzles that, that I did find frustrating because I died too many times. But um, this this was, you know, this was clearly a, a gameplay choice. The developers have talked about that that is what it's all about. It's about the trial and error, solving the puzzle and dying is, you know, the good thing about the setting, whatever the setting is, whether you believe it's set in the actual, you know, limbo, the well, biblical limbo, is that right? Or... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, or some metaphorical other place um, because of the nature of it, it it can almost make sense that the you know boy sort of exists in a sort of groundhog day type reality where he cannot actually die he just keeps getting you know respawned like in one of those crazy video games um, and uh, you just keep having to try it and go through agonising death after agonising death and of course that's another crucial thing the the animation of of the boy, the player character throughout, is brilliant, and the death animations are, you know, very both sinister and extremely dark, but also funny. Uh, well, amusing anyway. Let's say. <laughs> funny, small children die. Funny man. No, I mean, um, I mean, I was jotting down some notes, having and replayed it again this week, and um, I put under death animations as one, it's more carb, and two, quite organic. So. Yeah. You know, in, instead of your average death animation where you know something dies, they splatter on the ground. Yeah, fair enough. Um, this, for instance, if you get caught by a blade, you don't just splatter. You just you know parts of your limbs come flying off and it it throws everywhere. But because it's done in that silhouette once again, it's it's either 
slightly more freaky, but at the same time, if it was slightly more reasonable. <laughs> it Did really any of you ever tried the gore off option? I, I wonder what that's like. I guess I not. Mean, nope. no. The witch <laughs> option? <laughs> yeah, I, I exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, you can turn the uh, the gore off. So the, oh, the deaths no. become no, exactly. The the deaths are presumably less visceral. Presumably, the boy just sort of keels over and dies rather than gets eviscerated or whatever. Um, but one of the things that's definitely worth pointing out about this game, although you know, Josh is right, it's you know pulling blocks and climbing up on blocks. There are a lot of physics-related puzzles, so it doesn't feel quite so mechanical. It doesn't feel like yeah, the original Tomb Raider or something where everything's built on a grid and every you know you pull a block one square to climb up onto that it all feels quite natural there's a lot of physics involved like a puzzle where you have to pull a ladder that's on a trolley up a up a slight slope and then let it go and run away and jump onto it and then wait for it to roll back down and jump up um and uh, water you know water physics come into play where things bob up through the water and there are boxes which float and boxes which sink slowly because they have a hole in and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a a puzzle game in the sense that you know it's not tetris you're not just slotting things together yeah i, I mean i i'm very cautious about skipping over the you know the fact that this game has proved pretty hard for some people um has it yeah i mean for instance we you know a friend of ours um stephen count sticks he for instance stopped the game in, in its entirety because he he just found i don't think he found it too hard he, he just found it yeah. I was going to say it's not hard. It's necessarily. I mean, some of the puzzles can be quite. I think he found it obscure. frustrating, um, which, exactly. which is odd because um, people expect to progress all the time now. But but he, you know, he's a fan of Trials HD. Um, <laughs> My God, which, and that, that is weird then. Yeah, be, um, but yeah. For, for that he says it was very much physics puzzle based. Where this, it, it seemed to be once again the you know the dying without realizing, just for the sake of dying, you know, mm. almost to kind of you know say, oh look, you didn't see that trap, ha ha. Uh, but then, you know, for me, that that's all part of the experience. Yes, you didn't see the trap, but next time when you walk down this uh, bank of blades of grass that clearly are actually blades of grass, then you're not going to go running. You 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 take ten times the amount of notice, and and you you know you step one or two steps, and and make sure you don't go into another trap. Although they clearly want you to die um, on occasions, and I'll, I'll bring up one oh, particular yeah. instance, which I think is is hilarious. Which, having replayed the game it, game again, it caught me a second time. Um, you have a a big block above you, um, and there's a pressure plate. So you just walk on this block, you touch the pressure plate, and of course the block comes down, smacks you on the head. Um, so you learn not to step on the pressure plate. So you jump over the pressure plate, you walk to the next block, and what do you do? You don't jump on the pressure plate and this time you land on the plate that is either side of the pressure plate only for the block then to fall down and smack <laughs> you on the head um, and of course what you got to do for that block is stand on the pressure plate now game design tells us that of course once you've jumped on one pressure plate and it's the thing that you, know, you survive you're always going to do that again in the next puzzle you find um, and clearly like they knew that so you're always pretty much going to die at that scene unless you can predict um, you know where these game designers lie but I don't think you do so you know, clearly, I think they they think death is is just a 
uh, a mechanic of this game. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, there's numerous scenes where I think there's a blade that comes from the sky. You go right, this blade comes down, and your natural reaction is to run away from it. As you run away from it, a blade comes from the other way and chops your head off. I think we all probably know that puzzle and we can visualise it because it probably happened to every single one of us. Thus, they, they do want you to die. But the second time you do it, actually you probably die two or three times until you work the one out, but there's a time and base element to it. So I don't think death is a bad thing in this game. I, c- I can see why uh, Steve got frustrated with it though because the game isn't really fun. Like you're never... <laughs> no, you're never going to have like a smile on your face while you're playing it. So if you're just, it's so oppressive oh, and dark, it. and if you keep dying and dying and dying and dying, like <laughs> there's no, I could see why yeah. you're upset with it. I see what you're saying. I guess it could be quite grim. I mean, I, I you know, I quite like dark, grey, sinister, miserable things. So for me, it, it kind of, you know, it taps into a part of my brain that is quite comfortable in its being uncomfortable. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I did have a few, I did have a few smiles. Um, there are some, there are some kind of, you know, it's almost slapstick jokes in there. Uh, talk about the one where, very similar to the one you just talked about, Tony, where you, uh, you're, there's, it's, it's one of the places where there's some pe- people or children above you, and you run towards them, and uh, a one of the bear bear trap man trap type thing swings down from a rope so you naturally run forward and then another one just pings down and falls right into your face mm-hmm. it's it's like you know if it wasn't for the fact that you get smushed into pieces it would be you know like uh, the sort of equivalent of a you know somebody standing on a rake a plank gag from an old <laughs> old black and white comedy movie or something like that but then we're back to Josh's point: is it's it's not punishing because they start you, you know, at, at worst case, twenty seconds from where you were. Um, mm. You know, I, I know this is something I brought up with the Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear show that we did, where you know I was frustrated at being started, but you know, I mean, I was being started ten to fifteen minutes back, and then falling for this, you know, the puzzle which is you know slightly further from the one that I've solved. Um, you know, that's frustrating. Twenty seconds is is just merely a. A case of right. I'm going to work. A okay. A didn't work. We go to B. B didn't work. We go to C. And you know, and you formulate a pattern. Um, but how, yeah, how much of people getting frustrated with the game do you think is just like long-term gamers' inbuilt response to death in most other games? Because mm. if you die in like a Call of Duty game over and over again, it's just like ah, oh, that's not meant to happen. You're meant to just flow from event to event. But with Limbo. Like dying is actually like a mechanic; it's part of the gameplay experience. But people are responding to it the exact same way they would respond to it in an Uncharted or a. Mass Not effect. everybody, though. I mean, people who play Call of Duty on veteran—that's exactly their experience. Well, there is very much. True. And also multiplayer as well. I mean, people. I mean, I'm not a great Call of Duty player, but you know, from what I I know of Call of Duty in this form is, you know, if you get one or two kills before your death, then you've kind of succeeded at that, so you're okay with dying. I I think actually the bigger reason here is is why someone probably like Steven went to this game was actually for that adventure, you know, for that journey. Um, and I think the game sits at a little bit of odds with you know this this unique storytelling that it's doing along the way, and at times punishing death and there is one or two puzzles which are very timing 
um, base. I remember one which oh, I think yeah. you get two two blocks, two boxes, and there's a saw blade coming towards you. Uh, and you know you have to do it in in pretty split second timing. I mean, there is a little bit of leeway there, but not a lot. And that took me two or three goes to to, to kind of get that. And I think if if you're coming to this game maybe for the 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 exploratory aspect of it, then uh, I can see how that's frustrating. But I mean, that is what the game is, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the the puzzles and jumps. I mean, you know, the game requires a bit of observation, a bit of lateral thinking, a bit of platforming video game skill. Not a massive amount of everything, but quite a, a combination of all those things. And yeah, as the game goes on, um, people may or may not know that one of the things that's talked about a lot with this game is that they feel it's top heavy. That it's uh, that a lot of the best content is in the first hour or so, hour and a half, and that the game actually tails off. There's a f- we've got some uh, listener comments which will allude to this. Um, whether that's... It's partly that there are fewer sort of actual scripted, what what you could loosely call story events, and more sort of puzzles, but also that the, the jumps and the timing and the sequences become more testy you know more more trial and error based if anything more and yeah there's there's an increasing ask of the player to to time things better but that said you were saying you know people finding this hard i had a look at uh the leaderboard on my uh console earlier obviously uh xbox friend list of a hundred people of my current friends list uh 56 have played limbo and of those, 45 have played 70% or more of it, and most of them have finished it. So it's quite a short game. Uh, it's in, yeah, This was a game that was in development for around four years, from 2006 to 2010, and it's about four hours long. It's an hour a year they took them to make. So, you know, you, you would think from that, even with a relatively small team of eight people, uh, plus they also used eight uh, external people to help them finish it off you would have thought that they could have managed to cram a four hour game with slightly more kind of quality com- content is it is it fair to say I don't know about all you chaps but I think the first the first hour is much more memorable than the say the third hour um, having gone back recently and played some of the later levels, I'm not sure if I'd agree with the statement that it's top-heavy, because there are a lot of interesting mechanics intro- uh, introduced in the last hour of the game. For example, the gravity shifting, mm-hmm. I thought was really well implemented, the way like you had to manipulate blocks to get them into certain positions... Um, using that gravity shifting and that kind of stuff actually had you dying less um, it was more about like how how am I going to manipulate this block so it's where I need it to be there weren't any chainsaws about at that point um, it, it was just about like figuring out like a traditional puzzle game figuring yeah. out where the pieces go but in a way that's what I'm saying That's isn't that where the game arguably has lost its way in that those the, the opening hour or so with the spider and the children and all that, that's more interesting than, oh look, it's a gravity based puzzle platform game In my opinion, they're kind of equally as interesting in different for different reasons mm-hmm. Yeah, You kind of stop asking where am I and what is this place and what are all these things around me about halfway through and you just start asking how do I get out of this, how do I get to the next, you know, level or whatever, 
So I, yeah. I agree that it's kind of it's just more interesting in the beginning. I, I, I think you know. I, I mean, I've got, I've got a, a fairly, you know, uh, I've drawn a lot of conclusions into the story, and and I think I understand what the game is trying to say as the story progresses, and I think there's reasons for it to change up the way that it presents itself on screen, which we'll get into. Um, but I, I think I, I, I think I probably agree with you a little bit, um, Leon, with the spider stuff. I think anybody who's played this, um, I'll just play the demo. Uh, you'll meet the spider uh, pretty early on, and uh, it is one of the most memorable things you'll probably ever play in a video game because the spider is incredibly freaky and scary. Um, my wife, in particular, doesn't like spiders. Um, when I say doesn't like, she really doesn't like spiders. Mm-hmm. And once again, she could not watch me play this game even past that bit because. It freaks it freaks her out. Uh, something with the soundtrack on there, um, and and I think that there's more of a narrative drive at the start. Although you know there's nothing expressed, especially being told to you. I, I you know I, I it feels like with the kids being there, with the spider chasing you for the first three quarters of an hour of the game, that there's something after you. That you know something's foreboding. And I think the second half of the game does actually then focus on mechanics. Like to say, I think there's a story element to that. Um, but at the time of playing it, you don't know that. Um, I think because I think that kind of wraps up at the end, and my second player for is where I kind of pieced all that stuff together. Um, I don't think it's top heavy. I I, I think you know it, they they they've spent long and hard kind of working on this game. I just think it, it's in a traditional gaming style where there's slightly more um, difficult puzzles towards the end. I think the gravity stuff is actually a lot more trickier than anything you're going to do at the start. And why um, does this perception remain then? Because that spider's freaky, <laughs> probably. It's all about the spider. I think it's not just the, the spider; it's it's the kids. It's yeah. yeah. The, the 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 opening sort of hour of the game makes me think of both the Lord of the Flies and the Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings. You've got the giant shelob type spider who wraps you up in a cocoon and strings you up, and and you have to escape. Um, and you've also got these kids, these sort of gone feral kids who have blowpipes and spears and tin army hats and headdresses and you know I'll be really interested to hear your interpretation of well, interpretations all, all of you if you've got them um, of of the story as such as because that's never really you know the, these are these are oh, the antagonists yeah. and the antagonists are replaced by machines and that's just not as interesting as these malevolent feral children true but I, I think when it comes to a gameplay stand I, I think why it seems more interesting at the start um, because you have this you know, we have this full certainly of the spider that is chasing you through this environment and the environment is maybe interacting with you a lot more than what happens in that second half of the game um, for instance and I, th- I think it's one of the best scenes of the entirety of the game um, this this huge spider and it will kill you if you get anywhere close to it it will stab you and it's very gruesome and, and it's very freaky but this spider you has been chasing you for the first say 30 minutes of this game and you're running away and you're having to do these platforming sections and you come to this edge platform and there's seemingly no way across and you can see how you can get across by this platform being higher and what you need to do is let this spider slowly walk up to you and as it gets near you, it puts its foot on the platform, which then gives you the height to move. Now, that's the environment interacting with you. Um, and that's just generally more interesting in you, you know, working out and pressing buttons and, and working out in the street water puzzles. Because there's something there that you're, you know, it's, you feel like the game is actually there with you. And I think that the same with the kids section that's directly after that. You have to escape from blow darts and bow and arrows. And, you know, there's a lot more going on rather than just puzzles. So... 
what uh, then are your interpretations? What Tony, you you say you got more of a, you feel like you've got more of a handle on it, having played it through a second time. Uh, and I'm also interested to know if if any of this is based on further reading. You know, re- either reading into the uh, now the, the the guy whose idea the game was, uh, whose name is Aunt Jensen. Uh, he used to work at IO of the Hitman fame. Uh, he's he's never gone on record as uh, actually expressly divulging what was in his head when he sort of came up with the concept for this game. But apparently he has said that uh, on forums people have come scarily close to getting <laughs> what you know what was in his mind when he wrote this game. Um, but I, you know, I've heard on other podcasts a lot of people who have gone done a lot of reading into the concept of limbo. Uh, and I haven't done that, but what? So really, my sort of interpretation is only based on what I play, and I I sort of take it in a very kind of vague sort of I don't know. Just it just feels like a like a mood piece to me, like some expression of certain feelings that that you you have in life. And beyond that, I don't really have like I couldn't tell I couldn't tell you what happens or why. Have you got something, Tony? <laughs> I feel like I should let the other guys have a, a stab at it as, just as much as I do. That, that, I mean, actually, just to cover, we're, we're all kind of bringing those interpretations. But if you if you go reading into this, I mean, there's plenty of places, there's plenty of YouTube videos and, and stuff that all have a crack at this. Um, I think it's for the benefit of the game that it allows this because it, I mean, think about it. Before Microsoft picked this up and made it this, you know, this actually fairly big indie title was I assume a very small indie title for a long time and it got promoted very highly uh, and rated very very highly and I I think it didn't do any harm to be ambiguous as it was Um, it it furthered discussion on forums it it got that kind of word of mouth out there you know what is this about Um, and I think more games probably should actually take that that track and and not spell every single um, facet of game design out to them and and just leave a bit more to interpretation so I'm going to throw it to Sean because I'll be interested in Sean's point of view on this. Uh, um, I kind of subscribe to the idea that he's dead and uh, that he died in a car crash. Um, That's the common one. That's what most people... I didn't even know that. Well, because the game kind of later gets into way more mechanical gears and, and there's a lot of tires used throughout the game... Mm. Um, kind of gives you the impression that, and and that's where the physics start, parts start coming in, where you are just kind of floating through the air, kind of giving you the idea of a tumbling sensation. And then the last, mm. you know, as the very end comes along, you crash through. Like the first time I played it, I thought you were kind of diving into water, but when I watched it the second time, yeah. they're, they're kind of like particles. They look a little more like glass going through it, yeah. and then that's the end of the story, you know. So it, and that's where he finds his sister or the girl or whoever she is so that's, that's kind of where I come from yeah, but it doesn't explain called, most of the beginning so I'd it's have... called the car crash window screen uh, right. theory based <laughs> okay. around the net yeah. having done some research mm. um, which is something I, I must admit I didn't pick up at all I, going back I understand I remember the burning flaming tyres that came down the bank uh, the, you know the rolling that made me think of like that. Uh, that just made me think of you know those horrible apartheid uh <laughs> things in Af- in South Africa you know and times gone by where and well probably still happens in certain places where uh, people get you know 
put in tires and covered in gasoline and set on fire i was thinking again that this is more evokes like for me horrible childhood memories of news stories mm. really unpleasant news stories but josh uh, well, most of my interpretation of the game comes from doing a bit of research into what limbo, the word, yeah. actually mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. And its original meaning um, in religion is that it's kind of a part of um, purgatory that's closest to hell. Mm. And it's where unbaptized children go when they die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the idea of all these um, children going to an area where they're not quite damned, they're a little bit damned, there's still light, um, you know, sprinkling Fate through the trees. Yeah, um, and and it feels like his journey is almost like he's going closer and closer to hell. Like he's the the environments get darker and darker and darker as you progress through the game. Because at the beginning you have light. Uh, you could say it was like the light of heaven or something sprinkling through the trees, and there's like lots of white backgrounds. But mm. towards the end, it's just darkness and death. So where do <laughs> Even in the early stages, for me, there's a real sense of decay, though. Um, it feels like, you know, the, the area feels dank. You know, there's buzzing flies and rotting flesh. And 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 where do, where do the mind-controlling bugs come into this theory? I, <laughs> it's like... Well, yeah, I mean, that, I, you'd argue that's probably just... That is somewhat of a gameplay conceit, isn't it? But, um... First time I played for it, I I felt different from actually Josh. It's strange hearing that. I I felt it was more of a piece of redemption. Um, limbo is a place where you know ultimately the the soul is trapped, um, and it it well from what I had known at that point, you know the soul is trapped and it is it hasn't even made its way to heaven or hell. It's stuck in limbo. Um, so the way I saw it was, you clearly. I, I f- it feels like you've you, you've died at the start, and you've woken up, and and you've got to get through this this maze of puzzles to to get out the other side, and and basically you know your your destiny at that point, whether you choose or whether you get to heaven or hell, is as and when you break through that screen. Now, I wasn't actually too far off from some of the, the other opinions I've read out there, and and I'll I'll bring up one which I think closest probably matches having now played it through a second time, um, where I'm with now. They they see this as you're you're clearly dead at the start. You wake up, um, and it is you working between that. Like I was saying, the the your soul is stuck in limbo, and you need to get out the other side. Now, your little sister or your sister plays a part in this because seemingly what you want to do, what is um, your your reason for being stuck in limbo is that you need to get to your sister on the other side. You need to see her one, maybe one more time to let her know that you're okay. Um, so many people have looked at the theories and, and the different game design in this. Now, they've said stuff like the spider represents fear. Uh, it certainly represents fear when I was playing it because he is freaky. Um, and once you conquer yeah, at that, that stage, you beat the spider so you conquer your fear. Uh, the creepy kids or the kids represent the demons. So even though you know the demon Charles of, of Limbo, so they are out there and they're trying to kill you, and eventually you part, you you get past those, so you you actually defeat your demons. The rain, um, there is a, a section of the game where you pull a lever, which completely causes everything to be start raining for a period of time. Um, now that's either the depression, um, you know, basically raining depression down you, 
or as I, as I see it, which I think is a better inter- interpretation, is that you're slowly washing away all the pain and fear that is around you. So um, the, the rain is cleansing your soul. Your soul is finally being cleansed. And when you actually, when I'm talking about a gameplay point of view, and actually this starts to make sense, the the cogs, which is a whole section towards the end, so you have the cogs, is actually you're starting, you, you're you're progressing through this environment. You're finally working. All the cogs are start coming into place. They're starting to move. Um, and you're finally working your way out of this environment. You're finally, you know, the pieces of the puzzles are starting to move and you're off. And so the final scene um, mm. is a beautiful scene, which, you know, once you, you've jumped through and you go for this pane of glass, which, you know, comes to the window screen theory. So you land through this pane of grass and you softly land in the gr- uh, you softly land on the grass and there's this light and you do meet your sister. Now, your sister doesn't turn around. She stands up. She feels a presence. So, um, but the significance of this is actually where she's standing. So she's standing underneath a treehouse, a treehouse with a broken ladder. And if you look at it, the treehouse looks like it's slightly broken and fallen over. So the theory is that actually, as a kid, you've fallen out of the treehouse. Um, and, you know, with the ladder snap, you've fallen out of the treehouse, you've died. And with that, you're stuck in this limbo. And if you look at what your, your sister, it, it looks like she's doing, she's actually burying some sort of keepsake into the ground. Um, you know, basically, it's some sort of membrane. So when you come to her, she feels your presence. At that point, you're then rescued from limbo. Now, it, you know, whether you then go to limbo again, as, as limbo's story has told you, which is you start again and, and repeat this forever and ever, or at that point you choose to go to heaven and hell, is up to the player. But I think that's probably the closest um, to what I was thinking, and it, it, it feels like that that is a, a sense of narrative and would work into the gameplay design in there. Now, that course. That could be entirely fictional. Um, but where does the hotel sounds... come into it? <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're just yeah. I mean, but you're getting more industrial. And you, you're working through more familiar landscapes. You know, you're, it's you're, mm. you're fl- slowly working your way out of the top of it, rather than being these you know these deep dark forests. So, I mean, it's a nice theory. It's it's probably the best one I've heard. I think it gives a little substance to the game, which maybe lacks a little bit of that. But maybe it doesn't need it. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? It certainly sounds like there's a basis to it there. There's also the idea that she's dead as well, because the next screen, right after the credits, it comes back up and you can start a new game, but there are two piles of something there. You can't really see what it is, but there are flies flying above them, just two separate piles. So it gives you the idea that there are two deaths, so... Yeah, so the other theory with that, and I love these theories, they're so funny, because you mm. can go in forever. So the other theory is that, in fact, that she also was in that treehouse as and when it collapsed, and you, you both died, uh, that she had already found uh, how a way to get out the limbo, and then once she's, you know, you, you're there, then they can both just disappear together. A treehouse death seems so sort of, yeah, like... You know these horrible, you know horrible accidents like this happen to children sometimes, and mm-hmm. uh, but it feels like such a you know such a tragic and inconsequential way to die, and and you know, it's unusual in the medium of video games where people generally die by being chainsawed in half or you know fl- <laughs> flying flying out of exploding buses. That you might be playing a game where the protagonists have died by falling about twelve foot. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's entirely um, feasible. But so I, I I feel like you know having now replayed the game um, for a second time, and you know, this is you know stuff I did after playing it. Um, but the game is very much fresh in my memory. A lot of that stuff would 
makes sense within the context of the game. But ultimately, none of that is important for your experience of the game. You know, I, I think it. You know, the further reading is always interesting in any title. But um, you know, it's it's a good enough game being ambiguous the way it is. But I think if you're taking from a, a a maybe a gameplay point of view, I think if you look at something like that, it would make more sense of why those aspects are there, and um, you know the story that they we're trying to tell. But they choose not to make that obvious. So you know, if if people feel that it it's front heavy, then people feel it's front heavy. That's you know ultimately a game design choice. They chose not to to push the story onto people. Don't know how we can follow this, really. Let's go to some. Uh, let's go to some uh, forum posts and uh, and see if we can use them as a as a launching point to continue discussing the the game itself. Uh, Pit War says I played this a little later than a lot of people due to the fact it came out on PS3 a few months after the 360. I think it was a year actually, yeah, wasn't it? Was a year. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was the, they had a year exclusivity. Uh, when I did get to play this, I finished it in one sitting and loved every minute. For a game that is actually quite creepy and disturbed, it has a real charm to it and makes you really feel for the boy. One of my fondest memories of Limbo is a friend of mine coming over and having a quick go. This quick go led to him also playing through the entire game in one <laughs> sitting. What really made it memorable was seeing him make the same mistakes I did while I sat there letting him make them. I think uh, something that is perhaps I I didn't really I, it was one of those things that it was happening and I was appreciating it but I wasn't that conscious of it is that the animation on the boy is there's a lot of little touches that that make him more than just your average uh, sort of uh, platform game sprite just um, he goes through quite a, a lot of different phases and experiences so we talked about these um, brain uh, controlling sort of bugs which latch onto your head um, and he goes into this sort of zombie walk uh, it's little touches like he reaches out to things before he gets to them mm-hmm. um, his, uh, even just the fact that he's animated like a little boy he's not just you know he has slight his his legs don't seem particularly strong and he doesn't run particularly fast he struggles to climb up things because he's quite small he's not it's not sort of overplayed it's not like he's um, you know, semi-capable, or 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 you know, in insane amounts of danger because he's weak and stupid. But he just there's there's an air of vulnerability about him, which is obviously cemented by the uh, infinite <laughs> messy deaths that he suffers. One of the uh, things about him, which is sort of. Uh, notable and, and actually used as a gameplay device later on is that his eyes glow bright white in the dark. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was purely for gameplay purposes or characterization or 
Any I think I think it is kind of a gameplay consideration because he needs to stand out from the environment because it's so dark most of the time and most of your character's so dark you kind of need that like for platforming basically uh, really mm. you need that point of reference to say okay I'm here uh, in the environment so I know I can jump that there blah 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 yeah I think there's a bit uh, sorry go Sean oh, no no Joss is right and I, I also think that it gives him a bit of a personality too because if you stand still with him, he often just looks up. And it gives you that idea that he's like just kind of taking in the area around him. He's not like any other kind of game characters where they'll sit there and they'll like tap their arm if you sit still or scratch the <laughs> back of their Star. head or something. Yeah, yeah. He'll just, yeah. It gives him a real personality. Um, I, I think they, they they take a, a note out of something like Pixar. Um, you know, if you ever watch the, the, something like Cars, you know what makes a car have personality. Ultimately, when it was just a car, you give them big eyes and a smile, then you know it, it can do wonders. And I I think if he was just a shadow moving through the environment, uh, it would be a lot less impactful than um, you know a, a, the eyes give a hell of a lot of personality. Even though you know that is his one, I would say, distinguishing feature other than like say a, a shadowish of a small boy. Um, I think take that away, it would feel probably a, quite a different game. It'd probably be a lot even more darker <laughs> and a lot more mm. moody. Yeah, there's a bit, uh, some point in the sort of maybe three quarters of the way through where you're on a, there's a minecart section uh, and uh, the lights are kind of swimming, swinging around. You're in purely indoors in a mechanical area at this point and there, there's a section where you're rolling along a track and the light swings away from you and you can only judge a jump by the two pinpricks of light in the dark which are his eyes mm-hmm. uh, also the, some of the animation of the boy makes me think of um, Hayao Miyazaki's films Studio Ghibli stuff like the way he um, draws and animates children and his team obviously um, incredibly affecting you know like just little things that kids do that maybe not all animators acknowledge just the you know the way they hold themselves you know there's there's just kids are not just like little adults are they they kind of they have a whole different way of moving I think it's because of the lack of shame that kids have they're just very bold with all their movements they're very big they're not trying to um, restrain themselves um, I don't know if that I don't know if the kid in limbo is like that, but um, I don't know. It, it just I know what you mean, though. It's kind of a very subtle thing to try to actually, you know, get across. Um, mm. You have to really do your research and study the way kids move and stuff like that. I'm I'm pretty sure the guys working on this game probably you know brought their kids around each other's houses just to you know see how they interact with each other and <laughs> see how they move yeah and, and I, I love the bit as well with the, the kids that you face that um i mean it all reminds me of the lost boys in some respects but it the that they 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 shoot you with low darts so they, they your first meeting with these kids you're like oh maybe they're they're trapped in in this limbo with me and maybe they can help me with the environment you quickly realize that they're in fact you know trying to uh, you know halt your progression through these environments um, and there, there's a fantastic scene when you come up to these kids and you think yeah here, here we go here, here's my you know my, my chance maybe to have this buddy buddy thing going on and they start chasing you with blow darts um, 
and you quickly because the first time when I, I'm sure this happened to everyone you kind of stand there and go oh look they're coming towards me and all of a sudden <laughs> one fires a blow dart hits you in the back of the head you drop dead and you're like oh well, so, that's actually just past the section you were talking about earlier with the pressure plates. And, of course, mm. that the, the second half of that pressure plate puzzle is that you have to run back across <laughs> and not make the same mistakes as you made, but let the kids uh, who are chasing you make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Effectively, you lure other children to their messy death. You do, but they, they feel that... Uh, they do feel um, that there's a difference between, like, an adult... I think an adult in that situation, you'll be thinking a lot more wary about their presence in that game, but you know when they are kids and you're being the kid you think well you know this is fine um but and, and then that's quickly washed washed over you as you realize that's that, that they're really not there for that reason robotic monkey on the forum says i didn't really find any of the puzzles too tough there's a lot of trial and error but you never really got punished for getting things wrong checkpoints are fairly forgiving i'd say very forgiving uh, however i had to look up help when i got to the gravity puzzle i couldn't make the link between the arrow sign and using it to shift the plane of gravity while there were puzzles surrounding inertia and magnets and gravity to my recollection all of these things were changed using a button or lever i must have spent about 20 minutes repeatedly jumping into the ravine at the first gravity puzzle as they did a good job of of making it look like there were lots of potential things to land on i enjoyed how atmospheric the game was with lovely visuals and wonderful use of sound the creepy spider-like movement and its slow and persistent efforts to hunt you down they got the balance of the spider travel movement being slow but its ability to lunge at you with speed spot on did anyone else jump up and down on the spider just to make sure it was dead (laughs) yes i did i definitely did do that um can, am I right in thinking you? I'm remembering you can kind of roll its corpse off you into do. the water. Yeah, or something. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, no, you roll it onto a bunch of spikes that you can't traverse. That's past. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, interesting roll reversal. Sorry, I just want to no, on, on that point is that that's an interesting roll reversal where there's this big, intimidating, scary presence throughout that game, and then you reduce it to like this pathetic <laughs> little mm. ball of flesh that you just use to you know progress it's like okay i've got this spider ball and now i'm going to use so you as as a again you know, to read the sort of metaphorical side into that the idea that you've you know you've conquered your fear and that you know what didn't kill you made you stronger kind of thing uh, but it's a great scene as well because it, it's well it's like the, the monty python scene where it's like i can i'll, I'll bite you because it's, <laughs> it's literally got nothing left than one let you I mean you've destroyed its other legs through different means of, of putting in traps and stuff but it's got one leg and even with that single leg it tries to lash out at you and then i, I mean the first time i spent there a while jumping on its legs trying to pull it thinking what the hell do you do um to the point where you eventually grab it and rip it out of his body um, which yeah, like like I say, it does play into that theory. If you do finally conquer the fear of you know, you know the fear, <laughs> that's one of the many uh, many great uses of sound in the game. Uh, just talking about sound effects, the it's I think it's quite important that the the environmental sounds are so good, like everything's so crisp, like the sound of the chains and the sound of the machines and the water. It's all incredibly vivid, mm-hmm. probably more so than the visuals in some ways. It's more sort of realistic. Um, but it helps lend what would be quite a surreal environment a, a certain a sense of heft, a reality. Uh, Robotic Monkey continues, I wasn't really too sure what to make of the ending. It seemed a bit of a jarring shift to go from flying through the air avoiding saw blades to walking up a hill to meet someone. The only other characters you meet in the game are hostile and you get cut to credits before you get to find anything out. Is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a loved one? 
you don't get to find out and to my knowledge there's no hidden text or easter eggs anywhere in the game alluding to any kind of backstory as I say the only place is actually on the screen where you buy the game mm -hmm. um, this left me feeling like there was not a resolution to the game maybe this was the whole point in it being called Limbo oh, we sort of talked a bit about that already one thing I did want to talk about um, back to uh, Robotic Monkey's point about the, the gravity puzzle where you have to click on an arrow I, I agree with him about that I thought that was a bit of a shitty trick um, everything up to that point all the things you interact with are very sort of obvious tactile things I know there are those sort of machines um, which sort of switch electric on and off but they make sense they're sitting on a platform you press the button the electric comes on or goes off sometimes it's a lever you pull carts on wheels you pull blocks and then then there's this you have to press an arrow as you're floating past it which makes the entire you know makes the sort of the level uh, makes your transition through the level change direction um, just me or just me and robotic monkey well uh, yeah it feels kind of out of place it it would make more sense in something like a super meat boy or mm. a vvv it's a platformer that's slightly more mental but in limbo where you're trying to make this like consistent atmosphere and like semi-realism it, it did feel a little out of place mm. Mr. Phil uh, I really enjoyed the start in the forest when it was creepy and atmospheric with simple platforming but in the second half when it turned into a gravity shifting puzzle platformer it lost the simplicity that I thought made it so good to begin with so again, that's uh, that's that that's that thing that uh, does seem to be a common thread. Matt Harrier of the Dork Tunes podcast. I spent much of the time wondering whether I was a bit lowbrow for the meaning of the game. Yeah, I had that feeling too. I had no idea what the little kids were all about. Were they subconscious manifestations of uh, something? But I ended up with the idea that the game doesn't really tell a story so much as provide a framework for you to build your own story in, keeping you entertained, thrilled, horrified, revolted by the puzzles, death, contraptions, hideous spiders while you did so. I enjoyed the game, but I preferred the earlier forest sections, the horrible spider aside, although this was a good section of gameplay, it made my skin crawl to the later industrial sections. Again, same same thing. Um, do you think... Is that partly just people's natural wish to be somewhere more organic? Or is it is it simply that the... Even though it's obviously it starts off creepy, uh, yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty weird and sinister and melancholic and all those other words we've already used, but at least there's something natural there there's you know, there's grass and water and trees and is it simply that people prefer that because they naturally feel more comfortable in it than the, the surrounded by the hostile just pure you know it's metal and electric and spikes and things like that or is it that the game is less fun i i think there is i think it is partially what you're talking about because despite it being creepy and being kind of this black and white environment i think there's like a subtle beauty to the environment in the mm. early seconds uh, sections because i think wilderness environments just are naturally kind of attractive to look at whereas industrial areas are ugly and depressing but i i i just i think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that more interesting stuff happens like with the spider and the children from like a 
mm. not so much a gameplay standpoint, but from like a oh, what's this? This is mysterious. Whereas the second half is kind of traditional gameplay. Also, uh, you know, you're intro- introduced to a lot of the mechanics at, at the start, um, and I think you know the deaths are probably slightly more impactful when you know they come from nowhere, such as standing on a bear trap, which you didn't see. I think you your your brain becomes a lot more in tune to that stuff. In fact, it's quite weird that um, the the first part of the game, um, mechanic wise, it, it's all but left behind. Time you get to the second part of the the gears and um, and you know the more kind of in, interacting a lot more with the mechanical side of the stuff rather than just the environmental side of the stuff. Um, I still think there's a, a lot to be said about the presence of the game itself playing with you rather than you trying to defeat the game. Um, I think it feels like there's somebody else in the room with you at that point, and I think that probably feels slightly more natural um, to gamers. There's some sort of interaction happening with them. Um, also, I, I think uh, from a graphical standpoint of view, yeah, that there is there is a, a lot more kind of organic, natural feel to it, and certainly with the the black and white kind of monochrome stuff that's going on, I think it allows them to have. A lot more depth in that because you know you have these sweeping hills and you know almost like the moon in the background you have the light coming down from the top and i think you can kind of have these softer edges and mm. i remember actually playing it um a few days ago and and feeling almost do you know like when um hasn't got the color but you know with like a film you can see like an old film row and it starts to to burn on the actual cell celluloid itself mm. and things start to pop and fizz and and go as you know as the, the film reel disintegrates there's actually parts in the earlier stage of that game where it really feels like the screen is actually almost like collapsing in on itself and you and you're trying to invite um fight the environment around you as much as as possible hence the the, the eyes and and the blackness and and trying to like defeat that around you where naturally once you get to the, the city you know although tonally it's probably slightly darker um you know the, the, me- the mechanical side of stuff and it it's kind of a bit more brighter there's less scope of what they can actually do with the the darkness of, of you know although they do do like lights in the buildings and stuff i just think they, they lose a little bit of their imagination of what their game was designed around although and I, i'm sure we'll all agree I, I think the hotel sign that is on um you know, electrified and, and sparkling and crackling and, and mm. kind of blowing up around you. I mean, that's a masterful piece of graphic design. That that really sticks long in my memory. Um, probably a lot mm. more than a lot of the other stuff in that game. Just seeing this hotel sign, you know, clearly dangerous and these little gaps that you need to jump on. Um, you know, I think that's a, a was really really impressive. Yeah, the 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 whole middle section for me. Um the where the water is particularly in play and it's where you've sort of made the transition from the the most organic sections before you and before you end up in the most uh mechanical sections really reminded me of uh the bit after i'm going to spoil another game here when we've already talked about <laughs> only it's a minor spoiler uh after uh eco falls down and has to climb back up into the uh you know viral the 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 chains and caves and water um it's partly just that simply the the sound of you know dripping water and things like that but it's also the fact that as in that game you suddenly seem to leave behind all the other malevolent presences which mm-hmm. have been pestering you so um the 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 black shadow children or whatever you want to call them in eco who have been after yorda yorda's not with you so 
you well, don't have that. Once again, I mean, all that selection you're explaining is the, the moment you actually turn on the rain, which could actually symbolise that you're washing away your demons. You know, your demons mm. have been washed off and they've been left behind you. And now it's you're a just... theory. Yeah, so now you're, you're fighting, um, you know, out of this environment rather than the demons inside. Yeah, I mean, they could, you know, if that is the case, they could have done something perhaps more obvious, like, you know, actually show... The, the the kids running to to hide from the rain, but that bursting perhaps would have been it, yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or bursting them, yes, in a in a uh, Wicked Witch of the West style, but um, perhaps that would have been too obvious. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where when when it, same as in all sort of media, um, if you leave things too ambiguous, people accuse you of not actually having an idea yourself. You're just le- you're just leaving them so ambiguous that people can interpret whatever they wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I think given the, the quality of this game and the fact that it's obviously so thoughtful, I'm I'm going to credit the the designers with having a subtext or or indeed a text in mind when they made it, and it's not just a bunch of ideas uh, cobbled together. The fact that they were working on yeah what is a two D puzzle platformer for four years suggests that they clearly were trying to do trying to achieve something more than just uh, yeah like a a modern Rick Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Love you some Eric on the forum says Limbo makes great impressions first and last. The mysterious and often creepy atmosphere of the early games forest is one of the most memorable and iconic settings in recent years. Unfortunately, the creepy organic forest makes a fairly quick transition to a rather video gamey industrial interior full of crates and blades and giant things that go smash. I know the ending can be a bit polarising, and I count myself amongst its admirers. It's mesmerising. The final jump, the sudden slow motion, the shattering glass. The unexpected return to the forest and the appearance of your sister. Or is it? She looks up, there is a quick cut to black, and the credits roll. I thought it was perfect and extremely impactful. It's a beautifully crafted end for the sort of game Limbo's developers decided to make. Such perfect bookends, a close that is just as abrupt and vague as the open. For me, that one moment alone made the game's occasional flaws irrelevant. One thing that uh, people did talk about at the time, in the seemingly never-ending and, for me, maddening debate about 1,200 Microsoft points and 800 Microsoft points and stuff. Obviously, We were back at that time, were we? 1,200 Microsoft points is too much for a game. Well, it was... Yeah, I mean, it's still I, I still see this, uh, and you know, we won't have that discussion on this show because that's not what it's for. But I think you know, you have to take each game on its merits, not decide that one game. You know, some things that are worth uh, twelve hundred Microsoft is ten pounds or fifteen dollars thereabouts, um, and you know, it's very hard to compare something like Limbo with a another game. You know, a twin stick shooter with zombies in it or whatever. Uh, but there were complaints you know this game's really short this you know because reviews came out and said this will only take you four hours to complete maybe a bit longer if you find all the secret eggies or whatever they are um do they represent something traditionally in fiction the egg represents the soul but um i don't know if that has any bearing here or not or not now you said that it probably does but I, it's not something i did i looked for i mean i, I looked for the eggs on from my playthrough because they were actually tied to all the achievements in the 360 version. Yeah, I went back and got the ones that I I, I got the the other three that I didn't get at the time. 
And I mean, they're they're good to a point of view that um, they they do lead you. I think I felt at the time actually the game was actually going to be quite linear in the air that you do just move right. But actually, getting some of these eggs, there is some you know room for going vertically um, up to places that you probably wouldn't know unless you were looking at some way to get these eggs. So there is some off-beaten trap path there, but it, yeah, uh, maybe they do represent so it would make sense. But uh, it's not something I've I've heard. So I guess what you know is it, this is this is the problem with with judging something a game like this that is obviously you know an experience for good or bad might be a bad experience for some but it's certainly you know it, it's probably going to enable you to experience different feelings to those which you feel on your you know playing a a day to day video game so to give it a to ascribe a cost to it and a worth to it is a very difficult thing. Yeah, we got the same thing going on with Journey right now. It's 15, mm-hmm. 15 bucks over here for two hours worth of game, but it's better yeah. than most $60 games that I've played in the last, this whole generation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, fortunately, Journey seems to be of such quality. I still haven't played my copy. I've had it over a week now. Um, that people seem to be so adoring of it that the price the debate about the price seems to be receding because it simply offers something of such such an amazing such an amazing experience whereas limbo is obviously a bit more divisive perhaps less innovative than journey is uh more traditional and perhaps maybe there's less replay value and stuff so there really was a big debate around you know i'm I'm not paying 10 pound for a four-hour platform game and if you just again yeah if you just boil it down and reduce it to yeah it's a four-hour puzzle platformer maybe it isn't worth £10 but the feelings that you get from it are probably worth infinitely more I'm sure Josh will agree with me on this I, I think from a from a um, if you're a, uh, a, a what's the word a, a reviewer or a, a uh, somebody that recommends something well, you know, what do you class as a reviewer mm. um if if it's your job to tell people all the facts, and yes, I mean if four hours is a consideration, and you only have ten pounds to spend on a game, um, and that game yeah, ultimately, if one of your considerations is it needs to last more than four hours, then maybe mm-hmm. Limbo mm-hmm. isn't for you. Yeah. I would argue that most people aren't in that situation, um, and that my ten pounds with Limbo brought me an experience which I hadn't actually well, experienced with um, other games around that time. Um, yes, it is maybe just a platformer. Um, but it, it's what it does with its its art design, its sound design. Um, you know, some of it's in some degree, it's it's storytelling. That fine, it it takes what some games take ten hours to do, and it it smashes it into four. Then then all the beer, it makes it more of a compact design. I'm I'm more than happier than that. I don't necessarily need a, a story that is less invocative or a graphic design that's less impressive, and it to be eight hours. Um, you know, and and I feel you know, slightly underwhelmed as I walk away from that. Um, I think time, when it comes to game, is is all down to a very much a personal choice thing. But for Limbo, I, I think it was worth every you know every much of the twelve hundred points, and I remember thinking that at the time. Um, it's about how many positive memories a game gives you, rather than how long it is. Limbo's a short game, but I remember every moment of that game like the back of my hand because it's so well designed. Whereas I've played plenty of thirty-hour games where I've completely forgotten everything about them because there was no like there was no substance to it so length is irrelevant to the quality or price of a game it's all about the width uh, yeah no, I, <laughs> I i think actually going back to i think the argument was probably slightly more valid ten, uh, 2 years ago um i i think if you look at the, the 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 arcade scene or you know games that have had that hit that scene now 
there's there's lots of stuff that proves that you really you know the length of a game is sometimes irrelevant to the actual overall experience. I think back then there was probably a slightly more argument of where these you know, these platforms were evolving. But um, it's, it's yeah, but I mean, even stuff. that was two years after Braid, where we'd had exactly the same tedious argument. And as I always say in this conversation, there were games at twelve hundred and even more points at the launch of Xbox Live Arcade in two thousand and five. Bankshot so, billiards, I paid for it. <laughs> exactly, Bankshot billiards, which is a fine little billiards sim, but you know, you could very easily argue well, mm-hmm. it's not worth. Anyway, uh, that's for another time and another platform. I, I've got a question actually for you guys. Um, who out of us has played this twice or or more? I know, I know, Josh has because you can tell about the story of what you did. But Leon, did you play it more than once? I've played it uh, once, and I've played lots and lots of bits of it by dipping in and out of the chapters, finding the secrets, and just revisiting certain sections. But I've not played it through contiguously more than once. Sure, I, I played it when it came out on Xbox, and then I got it again last week on uh, PSN. And play it again. So, Josh, I know you played this multiple times for a particular reason. Uh, yeah, um, to go into the story of why I played it multiple times, um, back on the old Digital Cowboys uh, forum, Giles, a, a frequent uh, you know contributor to the forum, uh, set up this challenge. He said, "I will give uh, whoever gets this last <laughs> achievement." Oh. Um, I Two thousand one hundred Microsoft points. Um, so the first one to get it wins those points. And I'm like, oh, two, you know, two thousand one hundred Microsoft points. That's like two games or something like that. That that's it's worth doing for that. So, so thought, what's what's the achievement? Um, <laughs> to complete the game with five or less deaths in one sitting. Um, yeah. Which in one um, go. I still haven't done. Because no. and I gave up because it was getting to the point where I was destroying my opinion of the game. <laughs> you know, two thousand Microsoft points isn't worth that. Um, yeah, and I possibly played that game like I don't know, fifteen, sixteen times. <laughs> and how, how close did you get? Like I think I died six or seven times in uh, one run through, so yeah. I was close. But like it was getting to the point where it was starting to affect my mental health. Yeah. So um, it's a skill and memory test, and I was actually going to bring this achievement up in terms while we were just having the you know value for money conversation. Like, yeah, it's four hours long. Unless you want to get that achievement, in which case it's about two hundred and four hours long, if or more. But here's the, the actual reason why I brought that up, although you know Josh's story was funny at the time, and I remember saying, you've got to stop this, <laughs> you're ruining your opinion of Blimey, this game. You, you intervening in people trying to get achievements, that's uh, well, no, ironic. Anyway, it's, maybe it's because I looked at that and thought, no, maybe that one's not for me. <laughs> um, but actually, the, the reason I bring it up is, the first time, I talking to, to going back to Stephen's point of view, I, I am actually, there, there was times where I was frustrated with these puzzles, um, you know, but it, it's not within my character just to, to give up, and it was something I just kind of powered through, and I, I'd imagine the game probably took me on, on the round of, probably the later end of four to five hours um, to get through, and, you know, I, I was okay with that, and, you know, the story had kind of played, and I know I was, I was trying to wash let that wash over me, and, and that was fine. Going back a second time, um, I think is when the, you really actually get to look at one the narrative um, and and start to piece this stuff together because you do actually know what the puzzles are, and the, the game feels quite different 
through a second run. Um, for the first one, because it's a very much stop start on the first time because you don't know these puzzles, and and quite often you will die without even you know without the game even letting you know, and you know you, you feel frustrated that. But because once you know these puzzles, the game really comes into it in its own, and the fact that it does actually feel like a story, like a journey, um, because you, you know you feel like you're moving through the environments. That yes, they are traps, but um, because you've seen them, you can work through them, and um, you can complete the game. I think I did it almost around the three-hour mark. Um, it felt a lot more speedy, um, but also like the game was kind of wrapping its arms around me a bit more. Like you know, this is my story. This is the world. And and it, I think I got a lot more impact going through the second time once I you know f- figured out the puzzles side of the things and actually mm. kind of just bathed within the atmosphere within the sound I had the sound turned right up yeah. um, and I kind of let it just really wash over me the the whole game and the environment um, so I would I would argue if if somebody hasn't actually sat down and played for it a second time it's actually well worth going because I I feel like you get something a little bit different from the experience yeah I think that's true of a lot of games but certainly ones where there is yeah some kind of point or you know it's trying to say something or do something interesting i think that's particularly true yeah um on the subject of the sound a couple of things i wanted to say one is if you do uh, run your games through a, a sound system do turn your subwoofer up because it really really adds to the foreboding yeah. <laughs> yes absolutely um and another thing is uh, it really struck me today how uh hard of hearing unfriendly this game is um there are one or two puzzles which you you know you may get through there's uh, a point early on where uh you have to encourage the spider to attack you by thrashing uh, yeah you you stand in a place and make it thrash one of its spiky legs at you uh and it's it's one of those puzzles that's a little bit different to everything else in the game because it's actually affecting something that's off screen and it's knocking a man trap or out of a tree, uh, mm-hmm. the vibration, and you sim- even with the audio, it's not an obvious thing. You walk past this trap that's ha- hanging. I don't think you yeah. even see it, do you? Really, you just kind of walk past this tree. Yeah, it's uh, you sort of think that's weird, and well, you expect it to drop, I think, but and maybe that's what it's playing into. But actually, you have to. There's an audio cue when it when it does it. It's shaken off from the spider's leg, and you have to go back left and bring it into play to solve the puzzle um if you were hard of hearing or had the sound turned off i'm not sure you'd ever work that out i i want to have a go at people who turn their sound off <laughs> no 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 but you know <laughs> in that case thinking about hard of hearing true yes. gamers um and on a similar uh obviously they probably won't be listening to this podcast but it's worth talking about anyway um the gravity puzzles at the end um, or the, the, the shifting gravity that's on a timer the only indication to that is the sound as far as I could yeah. you got like five establish. seconds of clicks don't you it's like click yeah, click it's click, like, click, wub, wub, click, wub, 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 yeah yeah it's like, it's like dubstep or something and then uh, <laughs> um, and the, I mean the, you know, it's the, those final stages have gun emplacements as well which is you know uh, a shocker and there's kind of yeah it's, it looks like a sort of laser trigger um, which is you know, is about the highest level of technology you see in the game, I suppose. Uh, and you have to time your jumps uh, into and out of the gravity and, and anticipate, you know, even for the very final jump in the game, it's all about that timing and listening to that. Blah, 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 blah. I, I suppose, you know, again, you could, you could probably learn it through uh, just practice, but 
it's it's pretty important to play this with the sound on for any number of reasons is what I'm saying I suppose yeah the sound is is really fantastic and he I was reading an interview with the guy uh, Martin Anderson I think his name is yeah and Stig. he um, yeah Stig and he was talking about how he wanted the the sound effects to be organic but to make them the that's basically the soundtrack to the game like a lot of reviews kind of say that there's no um, music in the game whatsoever, mm. which isn't true. There are a lot of no. notes used, and um, it's actually one of my favorite, probably my favorite part of the game is when you're. Um, it's a puzzle after the spider when you're dealing more with the kids and you jump on a corpse in the river, and then you have to use his corpse to get to the next platform. And when you land on that corpse, there's this big giant boom like that, mm. and you're mm. just that sense of doom that rises throughout the game just really picks up there. Wouldn't you say though, the game takes? I mean, it, it takes strives towards all of this. I mean, there is no dialogue in this game. Um, I th- I think that's a brave move. Although you know, platforming games inherently don't necessarily need dialogue, that's for sure. But they normally have some sort of subtitled on the screen. I mean, it it goes from complete immersion in in that respect because the, um, back to the very start, there there is no button presses. It doesn't tell you what to do. It's left to the player to work it out. The the music, although you know, it sure maybe a, you know, imagine a piece of contemporary music stuck into this. It it, it would just break the illusion <laughs> that the music is all about the environment, and the environment is the thing that you should be concentrating on. The graphics do the same thing. It, it's all about concentrating on the single single thing you should be doing, which is engaging with this character, moving through the environment, and the music is just another way of expressing that. Um, I don't another, know. I was hoping for a character played by Jessica Chobot to pop up or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, great. Um, but uh, you know, th- think of um, it, it's an, an obvious one in, in film terms. But think of um, Inception, in, in, and everybody knows the tune from Inception of. And yeah, maybe they overuse it slightly in that film, but that has a much motion in that one piece of of um, music. There's you know, than any piece of dialogue or any piece of soundtrack could be doing across. Then it's about you know the fret, the fear. Um, and you know, even the the certainly at the at the end, it's the escape. You know, the, it it kind of picks it up and makes you feel. I know it gets slightly less creepy at the, the very end, but uh, I think you know, it's it's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing to say that it it doesn't necessarily conform to the the standards of well, this game should have this and this game should have that. It's it's surprising in, in many respects that it it come out as part of Microsoft's kind of big hoo ha. This is you know. This is what we want from our console because occasionally they're the worst for for hiding behind. It's got to be. It's got to have this. It's got to tell the player this. You know, these are our set rules, and it's one of those few games that kind of break that, which is something inherently that it seems to be the the PSN platform embraces a little bit more. I, I know yeah. I'm going to get hate for that. No, that, is... that's that's definitely absolutely true. But um, yeah, they like this so much they tied it up for a year exclusivity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, let's go round for some uh, Twitter three-word reviews then, and starting with Mentasm, who says in his usual flippant fashion, starts off well. <laughs> He's Scottish. That wasn't a Scottish accent. Uh, Darcy Jabbly has free. Um, <laughs> Just jabby. I like. Jabby. I like the jabbly. Yeah, I like the jabbly. He reminds me of a jabbly. But um, they they are beautifully bleak atmosphere, disturbing death scenes. And huge fucking spider. 
he's basically he's cheating by having three three word reviews that's a nine word review but uh, we'll let him off because he's such a great fan of the show uh plex shaw says monochrome platforming brilliance Countstack says death death bin no oh, <laughs> such a shame <laughs> yeah uh of game burst says massive fucking spider <laughs> You see, see, there's a theme. <laughs> uh, Lego time, dark, not emo. Uh, Hell World Cop says atmospheric brain workout. Markatansky, overrated as fuck. <laughs> there's <laughs> always one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mormon rage, not quite braid. I, d- I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, I, you know, um, it's a, it's one of those. Ga- it's it's very easy to compare it to Braid, but also it's not really that useful. Braid uses, Braid uses such different mechanics. It is, yeah. The it's only all thing about it mechanics. Ha- it's it's an it's a it's an it's a two D platformer with puzzles and a concept. Other than that, there's not really much to compare. They're both interesting games, both worth playing, I think, and. Um, I th- I think the braid reference comes in probably with more the the kind of the what would appear to be the apparent arty style of the presentation. Yeah, and some would say pretentiousness, and you know yes. that's that's fine. But if if they're the kind of people that would write a game off for being, you know, some things definitely are offensively pretentious. But uh, hey, they're listening to Kane and Rince, so <laughs> <laughs> you're among friends. <laughs> Mind you, he says not quite braid. Doesn't mean he doesn't he dislike the game. It's just yeah, it's not Absolutely. quite the height of what he feels. Yeah. Um, our very own knock on wood. So Carl says style over substance. I believe, uh, Josh, didn't you call out Carl for not having completed the game? Yeah, I was going to say he he's never actually completed the game. So Breaking the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't not know even how sure. valid that opinion is. No, I'm not even sure crew members should get a three word review. So. Well, it's <laughs> saying, no, but saying that, I mean, Stephen ultimately didn't finish the game, so Count Stakes didn't finish the game. I, yeah, I think there is true. a valid argument to say that you know I played through a section of this game and it wasn't for me I think yep. the counter argument with that dude it's three hours or four hours well some <laughs> yeah it's very true so, but sometimes we Kane and Rince play games to the end so you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> Pixel Ninja 23 says nasty final achievement ah, and his second review is Evil Kids Ahoy I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that Pixie Ninja is a female, but I could be wrong. He's not. He he's he, he's an, he's a fellow achievement friend of mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> hence okay. hence the achievement. Okay, uh, okay. Bring it up. Uh, Matt Wetter says beautiful nightmare spider. <laughs> Geen eighty two. Yes, uh, he's he's possibly of all the many many friends I've made you know internet and real over the years i've been podcasting he did the greatest thing which is that he named the stray dog he found after me so i can't you know he's he's a legend as far as i'm concerned well, he named his dog leon yep cool <laughs> he named it leon neil after uh, uh, the neil and i of gamer dork but uh, I, I believe it really only gets called by its first name so <laughs> I would have There's thought Ratso would have been a good dog name as well. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, he he lives in uh, Florida. Um so there's somewhere there's a cute little dog I've seen a picture of it running around in Florida with my name because I I did a games podcast. This makes me happy. Uh anyway, his three-word review is depressing atmospheric journey. Matt Harrier says creepy yet cute. Uh Sky Potter says artful Death Traps. 
walnut soaps is that freaking spider. <laughs> Tim Butterly. He's Millhouse, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just ruined the game for me. <laughs> and Natty D. Nathy. Natty D. You was good. Was, yeah. Was peace found? I love that. It's a very thoughtful Question mark? three-word review. Was peace found? Well, you should play it, and uh, if you haven't played it, make up your own theory. So, yeah, let's, uh, before we do the roundup, uh, let's each of us sum up uh, recommended or not, or, you know, uh, our experiences with the game, and say to people why they should or should not play it, starting with Joshua Garrity. Um, I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best uh, 2D puzzle platformers that are uh, that are available on Xbox Live and PSN. Um, I, you know, it was my game of the year to, in 2010. I don't know if I'm confident in saying that now, seeing as certain games have in, increased in quality in my mind. But it is highly accomplished and it does a lot of things really well and the atmosphere is unique and it it's not like many other games out there so if you want something unique definitely download it sean well i uh, agree with josh a lot actually it's it's very unique and different and uh, very challenging to play in, in spots and um i'm a very big proponent of the games can be art theory and uh i think this is a very prime example of that so check it out i liked it tony atkins i think if you come into this game um having the mindset that oh it's just this artsy type game and uh, then i don't think it probably is the game for you um i know one or two people out there that have, have done particularly that um and kind of ripped it apart from well it's it's too simple look at really if you strip out on the mechanics and, and the graphics and all that kind of stuff i think you know to me that's that's pointless kind of taking something like that and, and reducing it to those you know bare forms um for me i think it's its simplicity is one of its its key fact uh, key um key points i guess <laughs> key 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 gameplay points um i think it, its graphics are unique um and i haven't seen anything really like it or since um and I, I like the fact that it is open to interpretation. I've given you my interpretation. Other people on this show have given you their interpretation. I urge you, I think, if you haven't played it, to go in there and kind of see what we said, but also you know, kind of check out your own interpretation of it. it it's there. The story is in there. But um, And I, I would also say go for it a second time. The game isn't particularly long. Once you've done it once, um, go for it, and I think you'll pick up on a lot of stuff you missed the first time round just through, through working through traps. So... I think it is is highly recommended, and I I do believe it's no longer twelve hundred points. I think it may have been re- reduced. I may be slightly yeah. wrong on that. Sounds but about I think right. It, uh, yeah, I think it got put down to eight hundred points, and it's on yeah. Steam now for for cheapish. I was going to say you can probably get it on Steam every few weeks for about threepence. So that's another way of playing it. Um, PSN has regular sales mm. and reductions as well. So yeah. Um, you yes, so very very much. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, now, I I can't honestly say that it is a classic video game. I do have issues with the trial and error type gameplay. It's just personally, it's not my favourite kind of thing at all. Um, and I do think that the game, whether it loses its way, whether it's entirely deliberate, I don't think it's as enjoyable and appealing in the second half as it is in the first half. However, whatever you pay for it up to the full price of a tenner or fifteen dollars 
um, and the amount of time you have to put into it to see everything, you'll definitely get more than you put in, both in terms of time and money. It reminds me very much, uh, people of a certain age listen to this will remember that, um, I don't. I guess this doesn't happen now, but uh, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was quite common when, particularly on BBC, if they had a five-minute slot in the schedule that they didn't know what to put there, they mm-hmm. would import uh, rafts of bizarre surreal eastern european cartoons so it would be sort of five to six and he said we've just got a time for an extra program here it's a little animation from the czech czech republic or czechoslovakia as it was then and then it would be the most fucked up freaky thing with weird (laughs) discordant accordion music and you know 2d cutouts and uh just yeah really you know student projects and 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 all that kind of thing and like I didn't understand what was going on in them, but I couldn't tear my eyes away. It was mesmerizingly, you know, creepy and sinister and macabre and all those good things, all those nice adjectives that we've used for for limbo. Um, playing this game is more like that for me. It's it's less about the game and more about the, the overall experience you get. And uh, it's one well worth having, I think. The Roundup. Now, Apple have made a mug out of me. Uh, Last issue, we talked about the launch of our beautiful uh, iBook, our Cadenrince periodical magazine. Uh, It's still available. You can get it from our website, cadenrince.com. However, it is not in the Apple store. Uh, Unfortunately, Apple have decided a couple of reasons. I said there wouldn't be any problems, but uh, there are a couple of problems with it going on sale on the Apple Store, or I should say on the Apple iBook Store, which is, one, it's too mature. They only, uh, the maximum age rating they will allow is a 13, and we have 18 rated trailers and explicit podcasts, even though we don't swear a great deal on this show. Uh, And the other thing is that they only really want educational content, and although Jay has been trying to persuade Apple that Cana Rince is educational, uh, so far we've come up against a brick wall. So, don't worry, you can still get it. We're still going to carry on doing it, a monthly periodical for iPad and the PDF version. Um, but we're going to have to look at other ways to deliver it to a wider audience. Um, now, Jay has ordered himself some clever books to do clever things. Um, but I'm not going to say any more than that at but this But at point. least he's not part of the show, eh? Yeah, at least he's not part of the show. <laughs> so that's the main thing. Mm. Um, I, I would hate it if that guy had anything to do with cane and rinse anymore. Uh, now, Tony and I sat down last week and uh, we thrashed out the next 11 podcasts, uh, the next 11 issues of the show and which games we will be talking I about. I think there's like 22 games as well in that. 
if you take out you know the shows the two extra games and all the bit treats the bit treat stuff and that oh yeah. right yeah I suppose yeah 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 it's a lot of different games so please uh, anticipate these there will be uh, threads on the forum to talk about them obviously Twitter is always a good way but uh, if you do want to email in uh, Tony will give you the address uh, in a moment um, but we won't tell you all the shows that are coming up because that would just be overwhelming but we have soon Luigi's Mansion next week uh, the week after that The Darkness and also is that The Darkness 2 as well? There'll yeah be some... it should be yeah. okay and The Darkness 2 uh, following that uh, Metal Gear Solid you know uh, Bit Trip Complete the entire Bit Trip saga talked about in one show uh, then we're going to do Prince of Persia, the 2008 version of that game. Controversial 2008 version of that. Yeah, possibly. yeah, divisive and all that, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And also, we're going to uh, cover Silicon Knights GameCube debut, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. That should be interesting. Yeah, I've never played it, so I'm looking forward to. It. It's been fun actually because I've gone back to play um, Luigi's Mansion on the actual GameCube itself, and to power that device up and actually spend. Well, the good part six to eight hours with Luigi's Mansion has been really good fun with the GameCube out again. So. The GameCube controller still has the finest A button of any controller ever. But it does have a horrible C stick thing that should clearly just be a controller, <laughs> a stick rather than just Camera a nub. Stick. Yeah. Anyway, um, for all this stuff, for all this content, you can go to our blog, which is at com. Remember, Kane and Rince is part of the Character Select Network. Come and join in the discussion on the Character Select Forum, which can be found at characterselect.net forward slash forum. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter, which is at Kane and Rince. You can email us, uh, as I say, uh, Kane and Rince at gmail.com. And you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Kane and Rince. Your iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings are always very welcome, uh, and it does help us in the long run, so... Thank you very much Certainly. for the people who have done that. So it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony, Josh and Sean for joining me on this issue. And uh, we'll be back in a week as usual. Until then, goodbye. Here's some sinister music.